Amen. All right. You know, today we're going to be talking about miracles. And uh, we looked up some definitions and uh, put these together for you so you might get a feel for what is a miracle. All right. The first thing is, well, you look really nice today, babe. Pretty nice too. You changed. I did. You had on I your. Did. I have decided. I was soaking wet after yeah. the baptism, yeah. so we had a great time. But a, a miracle is an out of the ordinary event. You want to talk about that? What does that look like to you? You know, um, many of you have come and you've just said, "This is so cool." What, what's happening at Influence Church? I'm seeing cancer, relationships. I'm seeing finances, but. You know, I want a miracle. I want a miracle. And I told Phil this morning. I said, "Isn't it crazy how we don't realize every day?" Every one of us received miracles. And I think we think in, in case it's this, you know, unbelievable tragedy in our life, it's not a miracle. The fact that you get up every morning and you take a breath is a miracle. It's a miracle that you have life. It's a miracle that you get, you get to get up in the morning. And I thought, you know, babe, I want us to make sure that we are a church about miracles. There's no doubt. I mean, you're going to share, we coined a term that just came because God birthed it. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not even know it. And your adversity right now, your challenge, your difficulty, your heartache is a miracle getting ready to happen. And one thing we love to do around here is I just look for miracles. So I start off saying, okay, I need a miracle today. And I look for them. So they're, they're an out in the ordinary event because they're coming to you and sometimes you don't even see them yet. Yeah, and what a, what a miracle is, it's an act of God. It's God intervening in your life in some way to change the circumstances or your heart, your attitude, somebody else's attitude, somebody else's circumstances in order for God to be seen in that situation so you can access God and then God can speak to you with clarity through that time. You know, a third definition, I like this one, is an event that causes wonder and awe. So that's the definition of a miracle. So we began talking, you know, there's lots of them in the Bible. There's lots of stories in the Bible, and we kind of relate ourselves to stories. But one we know is Joshua and the walls of Jericho, right? And we all learned that story in Sunday school. If you grew up in the church, and here's Joshua, and he's getting ready to, to battle, and then God says, wait. I love this part because God says, I'm going to deliver Jericho into your hands. And I was reading that this morning, and I thought, you know, it's so cool because God says, Tammy, wait. I'm going to deliver this miracle into your hands. See, I like to run ahead of God and be my own miracle maker. Any of you ever like that? You're just like, God, I'll let you know when I need you. And we do what we can, and then there's that desperate call. But what Joshua did, God said, wait, I will deliver. Well, it's an incredible story, and we actually have a true story of the walls of Jericho here in our very church. And by the way, it's interesting that the word Joshua in the Hebrew is the same word for Messiah or Jesus. So that's the equivalent. So we see in, in Joshua a picture of how Jesus rescues. So February 2014, uh, one of our, our, our faithful here, John Meredith, was diagnosed with stage 4 uh, melanoma. It was, a, it was a fast-moving cancer, and they told him in February of last year, you have four months to live. Now you can imagine what goes through the mind of a, of a husband and a wife and, and small children when you get that kind of news. But God uh, showed uh, John that he was going to be healed and that in that healing, he, was going to, he gave him a strategy on how to pray. And so the strategy was... Well, you know what I love? And I was just talking to John. He actually wrote it out, and I have it right here if anybody wants to read it. It's amazing. And he just, you know, he said, Tammy, I was a Christian. I just, I wasn't going to church at the time. I wasn't plugged into my faith. And obviously, the minute you hear you have cancer, what do you do? 
And a friend said, hey, they believe in miracles up at Influence Church. And he came up here and we prayed over him last February. And he prayed, he said, he got on his knees, he said, God, show me what to do. And he said, it was the craziest thing. God showed him Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And he's like, okay, what does that mean? And he goes, I guess that means I'm supposed to pray around all of these cancer cells in my body. So he said for six days, he got on his knees and he prayed a hedge of protection around those cancer cells in his body. And he said for six days, he did that. On the seventh day, he said he prayed around every cell in his body that was cancerous. And he prayed seven times. Seven times, seven times. He had 16 tumors. Now, remember, they told him it was inoperable. They told him to go home, say goodbye to your family. In four months, you're gone. Inoperable. He began praying a hedge, a hedge, a hedge. And what happened was they were able to go in and operate. And this is what's crazy. They were able to remove 11 of the 16 tumors, but five of the 16 disappeared just disappeared. And here's what they found, which is crazy. What, what, what happened was it, there was what's known in the medical world as a warrior cell. This is true, a warrior cell. And what that warrior cell does, it goes in and it says it collapses the cell. It collapses the, the cancer, the tumor. They literally from the inside, the outside in collapsed and they were no more. It is such a miracle that John said, they came to, to him and they said, we've never seen anything like this. Would you write this down? We actually want to do research on you and write this up in the journal of, of um, medical association because we've never seen anything like it. He said, I don't even know. And John goes, let me tell you what happened. It's called the walls of Jericho. It's called my Jesus. You know, Jesus' name is Let's salvation. Give him the glory. Amen. Salvation. Give God glory for that. You know, and salvation is not just for your eternal destiny. Man, if you know Jesus, you are saved. But let me tell you what, Jesus wants you saved every day. Amen. 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 And, you know, I love it when doctors say we have no medical explanation. We've seen warrior cells before, but we've never seen them around every cell collapsing the outside walls of it. Well, you know, that's a big miracle, and we're so glad that John is with us and his family's glad and, and, uh, and the Lord rejoices and all of that. But also miracles are just everyday occurrences, right? I mean, it was like I thought it was a miracle that uh, I got up the, early this morning. What do you think? It was a miracle. It was, yeah. You know what? We all have miracles. We were laughing. Also, um, somebody was sharing with us how long they'd been married, and they asked us how long we'd been married, and, and I checked to see if he knew. I um, did. I did. did. Yeah, did. under 40. Under 40. More than 35. More than 35. 37. Going on. And you were 13, a child bride. Absolutely. It was all legal, though. Her, her dad signed off on it. It was good. You know what okay. I did? Wives learn. I put our wedding anniversary inside his ring the date so he would never forget so you know that's a smart thing but you know what you kind of help me remember too i do you know about a week ahead i tell him what i want in case he forgets but you know honestly relationships are a miracle aren't they isn't a miracle sometimes we don't kill each other i mean you know in marriage um every day is a miracle and you know what Um, a relationship with you is a miracle because i I love you baby i love you too um you know what we want? All right, if you're with your, your husband or wife, turn and tell them you love them right Aww, now. Oh, tell them you love them. You haven't done that yet If you're sitting next to a good-looking today. guy, go ahead and say it. No, I mean, just kidding, right? You know, you know why we, want, we really want you to know that? Is we want you to start realizing every day is a miracle. And really to stop and, and appreciate the things you have. Amen? Amen. Well, we've seen some miracles here this week at our wall. We put a cross up out front. Many of you saw it if you came in the front way. And it has a sign above it. Um, and we tried to follow that biblical pattern. But we did it in English, in Persian, and Arabic. Because Persian and Arabic are big languages in this area. And we just simply said, Jesus, God, and Lord. We didn't really know what the effect would be, but 
dozens and dozens of, of people have come who go to the post office, which is uh, one of our tenants here. We lease that space back to them. And they come to go to the, the post office, but they have been changed. In one particular case, a Hindu woman just this week came, and she saw the cross, and that didn't seem to move her. But as she got closer, she noticed the nails in the cross. And when she did, she was just broken in her heart. She came inside and began to speak with one of our receptionists here who... who They do a great job just with our prayer wall and ministering to people as they come in. And she's been back two more times now uh, seeking um, some answers and prayer along this journey. And I think that's a miracle. Amen. You know, that cross is powerful. I don't know if you realize how powerful the cross is. And we have had so many people in this area, people that just go to the post office, other Christians that just pop in and say, hey, we want to thank you for being a church that stands for the cross. But we had a Jewish woman come in last week, and she said, hey, I just want to come in. We're so glad you guys are here. You're always so friendly. Your coffee shop is incredible. And I want you to know if you're looking for a coffee shop, they don't get any better than ours. We're open all week. Check it out. But she comes into the coffee shop, and she came in. She goes, you know what? I'm Jewish. I'm not a Christian, but I really, really love this church and love what you do. And on the way out, she turned and she looked at the cross, looked at the nails, and came back in and looked at our receptionist and said, I just want to say to you, Happy Easter. And, you know, that's powerful for a Jewish person to be able to say that. I want you to know the impact the cross has and the impact a church has that stands for truth. And then the other thing that we do is we, we actually use Facebook to connect people to prayer. So all day long, five days a week, we're sending out, do you have a prayer request? Do you have a prayer request? Well, we've had now, I thought it was two, but apparently it's three, three different women who have experienced infertility who now have gotten pregnant through the prayers, one of them within six hours of our prayer. I mean, you know, listen, that's a miracle. That is a miracle, amen. Amen. And God is doing that kind of stuff in our midst. Well, babe, let me ask you, what what do you think is the greatest miracle in the Bible? I mean, what would you say? You know, I think without a doubt the greatest miracle is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we have no forgiveness of sin. We have no new life. We have no promise or hope for the future. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to talk a little bit about that, um, about the cross and about the resurrection. I, one of my uh, favorite authors is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor who was a skeptic, and he went on a search and began to seek out information about, is this Jesus real? Did he really rise from the dead? And in the process of that, he came across this whole idea of miracles, which was typically counter to uh, a scientific mind, a literary mind like his. But this is what he wrote. If we admit God, we must admit miracles. Indeed, you have no security against them. That is the bargain. Theology says to you, in effect, admit God and with him the risk of a few miracles. So when we believe in God, what we believe in is that God is a miracle-working God, that God does more than we do, God does greater than we do, God even confounds us in the process. So today, I want to talk to you about the five miracles that we see around Easter. I'm all calling this the miracle, but I want to take you through these miracles, and I want you to help me uh, in this message in that I want you to, to remind me what I just said. Miracle number one is forgiveness. Can you say forgiveness? 
Forgiveness. That's very good. All right. Forgiveness. Now, it's going to be really important that you really shout that word out so that I stay motivated. All right? Because if I'm not motivated, I go longer. So let's try it again. Miracle number one is what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You want to get home early. I see it already. Okay. I want to just, uh, I want you to think about like this. There's two dimensions that we have to work with. One is love and hate. And all of us, depending on what's going on in our world and our life at the time, we vacillate between love and hate. And obviously, uh, I mean, hate is obvious and so is love obvious. You know, we might say, well, you know, I kind of really see myself kind of neutral. You know, I'm not really that loving and I'm not really hateful. But, but you know, there are times maybe where you move over here along this, this line and you go into maybe anger or bitterness or maybe it even it, it evolves into hate. Or over here, you might find yourself in empathy or compassion moving more and more toward love. If we look at this on the love side of things, we, we put words like this, like forgiveness, that's a, that's a loving thing to do is to forgive. We also think in love, we think about life and the riches of life and what life really means to us. We also might put down a word like grace. We might put joy. We might use a lot of different words to try to describe what do we find in love. And when we put a list like that, that's so appealing, isn't it? We say, well, that's kind of what we want to be about. But if we go over here to uh, the hate side of things, we just kind of reverse some of these and say, well, that would be like unforgiveness. And instead of life, then we would live in this area of death. Or maybe we would talk about instead of grace, we talk about judgment and what judgment means to all of us. And then instead of joy, we might put, put sadness or, or unhappiness or bitterness or whatever else. But we, we function between this whole thing. But life is never neutral. We never really stay in a neutral zone. We are pulled toward love or we're pulled toward hate. People who are pulled toward hate are obvious just as people are pulled toward love. They are obvious as well. You see, it was hate that drove the self-righteous and the religious to crucify Jesus. We can only imagine here is the sinless son of man who is despised and rejected. And even there, they're hurling abuses at him. And yet what does Jesus do? Jesus drove the, the hate away with when he spoke these words, he said, father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Imagine what's going on in that, in that scenario there where, where they're just crying out in hate to, to Jesus. And what he does is he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You see, they were, they were being pulled over here into the hate zone. They were being pulled away from God and into religion and away from grace and Jesus. And what he was doing is he was trying to say, no, this is not the answer. You have to pull yourself back into love. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, the scripture says this, that Jesus bore our sins, our sins. You know, every one of us, the Bible says, have sinned. We've done something that has separated us from God. He bore our sins on the tree that having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. You know what forgiveness does? What forgiveness does is it brings healing to us in every dimension of our being. And we begin to experience that. We had 
On Friday night, we had a prayer and healing service here, and we had two different healing lines that people could get in, or communion lines, or pray here at the cross. And it was amazing to see people just lining up, and and that hour went so quickly. It, It evolved into more like an hour and a half of just praying for people. And I remember one particular person, an adult who had a childhood memory that was so painful and never really connected that painful childhood memory to a physical ailment. And as we began to pray and we began to look into that and begin to, to see what God had done uh, in the past to, to try to, to work in that, but it had, been, it had been kind of sidestepped. Because until that really came about that healing comes from the cross, you don't experience the fullness of life. Henry Nguyen said this, God's forgiveness is unconditional. God's forgiveness is unconditional. He doesn't forgive you because he likes you. He doesn't forgive you because you're a good person. He doesn't forgive you because you go to church or because you give or get baptized or anything else. He, his character would have it no other way. It comes from a heart that does not demand anything for itself. A heart that is completely empty of self-seeking. That's God's forgiveness for us. Thomas Manton put it like this, there is none so tender to others as they which have received mercy themselves, for they know how gently God has dealt with them. Jesus put it like this, to those without mercy, no mercy shall be given. Strong and powerful words from our Lord takes us to miracle number two. Miracle number two is hope. Can you say hope? That's pretty good. You're getting better at it. I like you already. All right. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 23. Then he said to Jesus, this is a thief on the cross. One is hurling abuses at him. The other one says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, assuredly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, this man had done nothing to deserve even be re- being remembered by Jesus. He'd done nothing to, 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 to deserve being forgiven. In fact, it was the last hours of his very life. But Jesus said unto him this. He said, I want to give you hope. You know, the great thing about hope is it's what keeps us going. In life, it's, a, it's when a person gives up hope, when they stop moving in that direction, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. But hope is powerful. Here's what Jesus was saying, I believe. He was saying, you are not a failure. You may have failed. You may have made a mistake. But it's not time for me to talk to you about that. It's time for me me to communicate to you the idea of hope. You are not a failure. And then I believe he said to him, I think he was saying in in these words, I wish you could see me. I wish you you could see you the way I see you. You know how you see yourself? is typically from your vantage point or from that that skewed perspective of other people, how you think they see you. What if you could see you from God's perspective? What if you could really see the love and the acceptance and the joy on the face of the Father as he looks into every one of you? That's what he, he gave to the thief on the cross. He wanted him to understand that perspective. He also, I believe, was saying your hope, the hope that you have, is going to bring you life. He said you have hope to be remembered. Everybody wants to be remembered. You have hope to be remembered, and I want you to know that that this hope that you have, it's going to to result in a new life. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You'll experience a new life today. Today. 
You're not going to have to wait any longer. You see, salvation, when it comes to us, it comes to us as today. It comes as a blessing of today. A great leader of people and yet not a follower of Jesus was a man by the name of Gandhi. Gandhi on one occasion made this statement. He said, I could accept Jesus as a martyr, as the embodiment of sacrifice and a divine teacher. His death on the cross was a great example to the world, but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. He looked at the cross as a sacrifice. He looked at it as a tragedy. He looked at it as an example, but not something that was transformational. You see, what happens is the cross is a great divide. It's a great divide in this sense. That when we begin to think about the cross, what it does, Jesus says, when you get on the wrong side of the cross, all you experience are things like unforgiveness, death, judgment, or sadness. But when you walk in this, this great divide, this is the dividing line, you begin to experience forgiveness, life, grace, and joy. You begin to see what God indeed has in store for you. Not what to, the way you look at it from a religious standpoint. Remember, were there religious people who hated Jesus, who crucified him. And whenever we start to move into religion, we always move into the area of hate. Because religion is about trying to please God. It's about doing everything according to a set of rules. And yet, but Jesus and walking with him in this relationship is about experiencing forgiveness, life, grace, and joy. And so this is a great divide. It is always the cross that will be either life or death to someone, depending on how we look at it. Let me take you to miracle number three. Miracle number three, let's repeat it, changed lives. Now, we didn't, we really weren't in sync that time, so let's try it one more time. All right, ready? One, two, three. You see, that's what life is, should be about. In Luke chapter 23, it says this, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil in the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, Into your hands do I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Few were gathering there around the cross. One was a centurion. And the scripture says this, So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God and he said, Certainly this was a righteous man. His life was changed at the cross, as were many others' lives changed at the cross. Because he saw the way Jesus reacted. He saw the heart and the love that came from Jesus. And instantly he was so moved, he glorified God and he said, certainly, this was a righteous man. There was a man by the name of Chuck Colson. Many of you recognize that name from that Watergate scandal that happened so many years ago. But he went to prison and in prison he found Jesus Christ. When he came out, he began a ministry of ministering back into the prisoners and ministering grace and forgiveness and love to them. When asked about the resurrection, he wrote these words, I know that the resurrection is a fact. Watergate proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten 
tortured, stoned, or put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Amen? Amen. Miracle number four, the empty tomb. Can you repeat that? You're getting better. I love it. I had seven more miracles to add on, but I think we're on a good track, and we're just going to do five today. All right? Miracle number four, the empty tomb. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, it says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in the Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Now listen to what Jesus said about his own future. He said, I want you to know that I will be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I will be crucified, but I will rise from the dead. He left the promise of the resurrection. Because you see, if he only died for our sins, our sins would be forgiven. But if he did not rise, we would not have the gift of new life. Do you realize that Buddha never claimed to be God? Moses never claimed to be Jehovah. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. And yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and the living God. Buddha said, and I quote, I am a teacher in the search of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. Jesus asked the question, who convicts me of sin? Muhammad said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. I want you to know that Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Moses is dead. Confucius is dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. Give him praise. Give him glory. Amen. Jesus Christ lives. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way to the Father except Jesus Christ. He claimed an exclusive path into the kingdom of God. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. That truth would permeate and burn in the hearts of those followers, which brings us to miracle number five, burning hearts. Can you say that? I love you. I love you so much. You, you really think this day is almost over, don't you? Well, this point happens to go on for an hour to an hour and a half. Burning hearts. Can you say it again? Listen to what it says. Now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them. Now this is the resurrected Lord. He's already been crucified, raised from the dead, and now he is being seen by many witnesses. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it to them, and it says their eyes were opened. This is referring to the eyes of their heart. They began to understand something about what he had promised. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him. You see, before you can know him, your eyes have to be opened. You have to see with your spiritual eyes. You have to feel with your heart. You have to know it deep down in your soul. And it says, and then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, 
Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, what happens when you begin to get close to Jesus, your heart begins to burn. You begin to feel the warmth and the love of God. You begin to see God in a new and a a different way because all of a sudden God is not some separated, isolated, religious stained glass behind the scenes God. No, he is the living God, the real God who speaks to you and me on a daily basis. Ravi Zacharias wrote this, a man rejects God neither because of intellectual demands nor because of a scarcity of evidence. A man rejects God because of a moral resistance that refuses to admit his need of God. The first step in understanding this relationship with him is need. Need, I need God. That includes those who have already believed on the Lord and those who are yet to believe. We live constantly in this tension of needing God and trying to do it ourselves. But God wants us always to be in that position to say, I want you to need me. I want you to pray to me. I want you to seek me. When you seek me, you'll find me. When you look for me, I'll be found. When you knock, I will open. God wants that kind of relationship with us, with every one of us. You see, we have to keep in mind that God loves us. God loves you. God loves you, every one of you. Every one of you, God loves you. Just about a month ago, we were in South Africa and we were preaching and I remember I got up and I was preaching and I said, God loves you and you and you and I was just using it as a general illustration and two or three of the students said, does he love me too? Does he love me too? Does he love me? And you might be sitting here like one of those students saying, does he really love me? Because I don't feel loved. I don't feel the compassion of God. I want you to know that God loves you. You see, there was never anything you could do to earn his love. You couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't do enough stuff. You couldn't give enough money. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything. He never based his relationship with you on what you could do, but on what he did at Calvary. God simply loves you. Simply loves you. And he doesn't stop loving you. He never stops loving you. But it's never too late to receive Christ. You know, the thief on the cross taught us one great truth, and that is it doesn't matter how late in life you come to Christ, he's there for you. He's always there for you. It's better, of course, to, to follow him early, but he never, never leaves you. He says, I'm here for you. Would you call upon my name? Which brings us to this idea that we must ask Christ to save us. It must be a step of our own decision. We must choose Christ if he's going to be our Lord and Savior. He doesn't force his way into our life. He says, do you want what I have to offer? I offer you life. Would you like life? I offer you love. Would you like love? I offer you joy. I offer you continual forgiveness and relationship. Would you like that? I'm going to put on the screen here a prayer that that I wrote on receiving Christ. I recognize many of you have already received Christ, but some of you may not. 
Some of you may have may be like I was one day. I was a college student, and I went to, to church, and I knew Jesus died on the cross, but I didn't know how to, to translate that truth into a relationship because no one ever showed me how to pray or, or what, was, what would it mean to, to connect with God in prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, and I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. If this prayer reflects your heart and your faith, then this is a prayer of salvation for you. This is a decision day for you. This is a day of new beginnings for you, a day of life. The Bible says that when we receive Christ, that he writes our name in the book of life, that he gives us the spirit of God to live in us, that we're made to be new, not perfect, but new in the sense that new life has come in. We want that for every one of you. Let's just look on the screen, and I'd ask you to pray this prayer with me if, if this reflects your heart. I admit that I am a sinner, and I understand that my sin separates me from you. I believe that Jesus being God, paid the penalty for all my sins when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I want to place my trust in him as Savior. Thank you for loving and forgiving me and giving me the gift of eternal life. I know that many of you were praying that prayer. Many of you were mouthing those words. Some of you were speaking those softly as I was just reading that to you. Can I say that God looks on your heart. If that was really the heart cry to find him, to connect with him, then I want you to know that he did exactly what he said he did. He would save you. We're going to bow our heads just for a moment right now, and I'm going to ask those of you to, who prayed that prayer, and you, it really was your prayer because it was your faith. I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you Would you just thank him right now? Would you just say something like this? Jesus, that was my prayer and that was my faith. And I want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I would be saved. I take that promise as my promise. That gift is my gift. That life is my life. I thank you. If that was your prayer right now, I wanted to ask just those who prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you just to lift your eyes and just look this way to me for a moment. Would you do that? Just amen. Just anyone else. Just God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. I want you to know you're in good company. 30, 40, maybe 50 people have lifted their eyes to me right now. Can I just speak to you for a second? God loves you. And Jesus loves you so much. He died for you. For you to be forgiven of your sin. Rejoice in that. Thank him for that. 
we want to be a help to you. If we can help you on that journey of walking with him, then we're here. If you're visiting and you have a church somewhere, we just encourage you to talk to your pastor. Say to him, hey, I received Christ. What's my next step in the journey? Where do I go from here? How do I follow Christ? How do I, how do I make this salvation really rich and full? Let that be a part of your life. And now as we just, just allow this music just to kind of minister to us right now, as we think about what Jesus did, he brought us love. Amen.